So good morning, welcome to New Hope Chapel's Easter morning service, praise and worship. And the title this morning is, of the sermon is Easter, Why Jesus? My text is the gospel of, I'm sorry, it's the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 29 to 30. And I'm utilizing the NIV. But this morning I've added something different. I've added a purpose and a theme, and that is risen from the dead and apologetics. You know, as you may know, apologetics is the religious discipline of defending religious doctrine through systematic argumentation and discourse. And so this morning I'm offering a simple view. I'm looking and trusting that your faith will be increased and that you may then also have answers for those unbelievers in your circles. As always, I seek God's anointing of these my words, but his thoughts. And I pray in the spirit of Psalm 1914. So, dear Lord, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen? You know, according to estimates by some demographic researchers at population references bureaus, there have been 108.2 billion people who have been born since the beginning of time. There have been 100.8 billion people who have died since that time. And of those 108.2 billion people, only one has his birthday celebrated universally around the world, even by many people who don't follow him and don't believe in him. And you know his name, Jesus. Furthermore, of the 100 plus billion people who have died, only one has billions of people who celebrate his death. It was even given a name. Good Friday. So both his birthday and his death day are celebrated. In fact, his birthday is the most celebrated holiday in the entire globe, in the history of the world. And the question is begged, why? Why would anybody's birth be so universally celebrated, much less somebody's death? And the answer to those questions actually answer an even greater question, and that is, why Jesus? Of the 4,200 religions in the world, why would Christians say that the only way to God is through the Christian faith? Even then, it is one thing to answer the question, why Jesus? But what about why Jesus only? See, I believe that there are three things that separate Jesus from every other, belief, every other person who has ever lived. One is the life that he lived after he was born. To say that Jesus lived is one thing. Billions of people have lived. But he claimed. And his friends and his foes did not contradict the fact that he maintained he was absolutely, totally, completely sinless. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross, but regardless of how he died, 
Hundreds of billions of people have died. But then, of course, he claimed to have died for the sins of the world. But anybody can make such a claim. Obviously, if he did, if he did die for the sins of the world, then his death was unlike anybody else's death. And the clincher is the belief that he rose from the dead. So if if those three things are true, then he lived an unequal life. He died a unique death, and he experienced an unmatched resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is what makes Christ different from every other person who ever lived and superior to every other person who ever lived and sets him apart from any other person who ever lived. But every person who has ever lived and died physically is still dead. Every other religion of the world can point to a founder and most can even point to a grave or a tomb. But only Christianity points to an empty tomb and says, our founder is alive. And when it comes to Jesus, it isn't enough to stop everything you are doing and celebrate his birth by exchanging Christmas gifts. It's not enough to stop and maybe celebrate what is called the Lord's Supper and remember his death because in the end, you simply cannot avoid or bypass the subject of his resurrection. In the debate with every other religion and every other religious leader and every other religious faith in the world, nothing outweighs or compares the battle over a certain plot of Jerusalem real estate. The issue there is death moved in on a Friday afternoon and came out the front door on a Sunday morning. And today, we're going to hear from a man who wrote over half of the New Testament, who at one time hated even the very name of Jesus, who made it his life's work to stamp out Christianity and to stop it dead in its tracks. But because he claimed to the day that he died that he had met the risen Jesus, he became the champion of answering the question, why Jesus? Keep in mind as we listen to this man named Paul, as he talks about Jesus while speaking to both Jews and Gentiles in a place called Antioch, which, by the way, was the first place that believers were called Christians. And there, four times, he talks about Jesus being raised from the dead. And he tells us why he believed it, and he tells us why we should believe it too. So first in your outline, consider that we should believe in the resurrection because we have an empty tomb. Something happened 2,000 years ago that was so dramatic so transformational that at first it changed 11 men's lives so drastically that 10 of them were martyred in a violent fashion except one. And he died in exile all alone in a Greek island. Well, something spawned the writing of the four Gospels and it ignited a movement that went in concentric circles from a place called Jerusalem and expanded until it covered the entire world many times over. 
And this morning we are talking about this man by the name of Paul who, keep in mind, hated the very name of Jesus, despised the movement called Christianity, and had devoted his life to destroying the church. That is what makes this next statement more amazing. And that is, in Acts 13, 29-30, Paul says, When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. Listen. But God raised him from the dead. Paul is referring to an empty tomb. There is one thing for absolute certainty. If that tomb where Jesus was buried had not been empty, we wouldn't be celebrating Easter or Christmas, and I would be doing something else besides what I'm doing now, and you would be somewhere else than where you are now. The one thing that could have stopped Christianity from ever getting off the ground and would have caused it to crash and burn is for that tomb that was not empty. To be sure, the empty tomb alone does not prove that Jesus rose from the dead. But for 11 men, all who denied Jesus just three days earlier, who were hiding for fear that they too would be killed because of Jesus, suddenly they began to preach and proclaim to anybody that would listen that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And if he was still in the tomb, that would have been foolish and stupid. In other words, if like every other grave and every other tomb, the body was still there, even to talk about a resurrection was preposterous. But if the tomb was empty, then the resurrection is at least possible. And when you examine it, not just plausible, but perhaps the best explanation of why the tomb is empty. Well, listen, any serious student of whatever happened 2,000 years ago doesn't deny two things. He doesn't deny that Jesus died, and he doesn't deny that Jesus was buried. So if the tomb was empty, there are only two possibilities. He was raised from the dead, or somebody took the body. There are only two possibilities of who could have taken the body, his friend or his foes. Upon just a brief examination, you realize his foes wouldn't have taken it, and his friends couldn't have taken it. Think about this. To make sure that nobody could take the body, the Pharisees persuaded the Roman authorities to put a crack Roman guard in front of the tomb to be sure that nobody would steal it. Now, if the Pharisees, the Jews, took the body, then all they would have to do was to produce it. They didn't need to take the trouble of having the disciples arrested, which they did, imprisoned, flogged, and eventually killed, which they did. All they had to do to bring this Christianity business to a fatal end was just produce the body. There can be only one reason why they didn't produce the body. They didn't have the body or they would have produced it. 
as far as his friends. There are all kinds of reasons to prove that they couldn't have done it, even if they wanted to. But the one thing that is telling is this. Every one of these men were willing to die. And many of them did die because they believed in a risen Lord. People will die for convictions. They won't die for concoctions. They may die for what they believe is the truth, but they won't die for what they know is a lie. By the way, one other thing. None of the disciples really believed that Jesus was coming back from the dead. Otherwise, why weren't the disciples camped out at the tomb on Sunday morning? Why weren't, there, why weren't they there waiting for Jesus to come out? Because they didn't expect him to come out. Neither Jews nor Greeks nor Romans thought a bodily resurrection was even possible. Now the Jews believed that at the end of time the righteous people would be resurrected altogether, but nobody believed that God would raise one individual from the dead right in the middle of history. People were reconciled to the fact that Jesus was gone, never to be seen again on earth. But the empty tomb changed everything. William Wand, he was a former professor at Oxford University, said it best when he said this, All the strictly historical evidence that we have in favor of the empty tomb and all those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other ground than that of scientific history. And secondly, consider your outline that we should believe in the resurrection because we have when read eyewitness testimonies. You know, there are two bookends to the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There's the empty tomb, and then there is also eyewitness testimony. It's two facts that form a resurrection-shaped dent in history. And this is what Paul was referring to when he went on to say in Acts 13, 31, And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Any attorney will tell you that by far and away the most powerful evidence you can present in any case is a credible, legitimate eyewitness testimony and particularly when you have many of them who corroborate each other's stories. Then again, An empty tomb alone can be interpreted any number of ways, but if you combine the empty tomb with the eyewitness testimony, this is what should move even the most skeptic individual to have to take a serious look at exactly what happened. You know, no one disputes the fact that a significant number of men and women claim to have been eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus, which is attested to by practically every book in the New Testament, every one of the 27 books in the New Testament. Two Gospels, Matthew and John, were written by men who claimed to have seen the risen Lord and died for that belief and conviction. 
Incidentally, it's not the four Gospels that explain the resurrection. It's the resurrection that explains the four Gospels. In fact, it is the resurrection that explains the entire New Testament. Let me put this in perspective. If you took away the birth of Jesus, it would only affect two books in the New Testament that even refer to his birth. That would be Matthew and Luke. If you take away the resurrection of Jesus, you basically take away the entire New Testament. Now, I also want you to consider that James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, who was the biological half-brother of Jesus, he didn't even believe Jesus as the Son of God when Jesus was alive. In fact, none of his brothers bought into it. John said this about Jesus' brothers in John 7, 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Think about that. They lived with Jesus for 30 years and did not believe in him. Not one of his brothers is mentioned as a disciple of Jesus before he died. In fact, they even thought he was crazy. It's time for commitment, committal. In his ministry, Jesus would say incredible things about himself, claiming unbelievable things about himself. And Mark tells us this in Mark 3.21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. And yet 40 days after his crucifixion, There was 120 people in a room worshiping Jesus. Listen to who is in that room. Acts 1.14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, his biological half-brothers. And also the Apostle Paul who spoke these words that we are reading had a unique experience with the risen Jesus. Every other witness to the resurrection saw Jesus immediately after he came back from the grave and before he ascended into heaven. Paul is the only one who met Jesus long after he had left this planet. Furthermore, while at least everyone else loved Jesus, respected Jesus, revered Jesus, and wanted Jesus to come back from the dead, The Apostle Paul hated Jesus, was hostile to Jesus, and didn't even want to consider the possibility of resurrection. And yet he went on to write over half of the New Testament that is built on the foundation of eyewitness testimonies of people who saw the risen Jesus. See, all these eyewitness testimonies accomplish something that has never been tried for any other religious leader who has ever lived or by any other religious followers of any religious leaders. No other religious or philosophical leader has been held out as a risen savior. None of them. Every other religion speaks of a leader who was alive but is now dead. But the New Testament does not talk about Christ who was alive and is now dead. The New Testament and these eyewitness testimonies 
who not only spoke these words, but sealed them with their blood, proclaims a Christ who was dead, but is now alive. And except for Christianity, every religious, political, or philosophical belief is either based on someone's personality or someone's philosophy, but they are all dead. Take the four major religions. Judaism, the oldest of the four, teaches that its founder was Abraham, but he's dead, and they admit it. Buddhism was founded by Buddha himself. Every disciple of Buddha believes that Buddha is dead. Islam is founded on the teachings of the prophet Muhammad. Muhammad is dead, and no Muslim claims that he's not. Christianity is the only belief that is not based on just someone's teachings or someone's personality, but is based on a historical fact of a resurrection by an empty tomb and eyewitness testimony. You can hear it from a man named Lord Lyndhurst, who was at one time the following. The Solicitor General of the British government, the Attorney General of Great Britain, the High Chancellor of England, and the High Steward of the University of Cambridge. In one lifetime, this man held the highest office ever conferred upon any judge in the history of Great Britain. And he said this, I know pretty well what evidence is. And I tell you, such evidence as is that for the resurrection of Jesus Christ has never broken down yet. Finally, thirdly, in your outline, consider that we should believe in the resurrection because we experience an eternal transformation. And so Paul concludes with these words, Acts 13, 37 to 39, which states, But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is unique in two ways. First of all, as we know, other people in the Bible have been raised from the dead. For example, Lazarus. Everyone else who was raised from the dead died again, and their bodies turned to ashes, which all bodies do. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he took on a new kind of body, a perfect body, no longer subject to decay, disease, or death. So therefore, as Paul said, the resurrection gives us two things that nothing else and no one else can give us. There are two things we need more than anything else, forgiveness of sins and freedom from guilt. As a child, one of the first things your parents taught you is to say two words, I'm sorry. You know, we figured out early on that something is wrong with us. Why do we do things we shouldn't do? Why don't we do the things that we should? That problem is called sin. And if your conscience is healthy, even as a child, when you do something wrong, you feel bad about it. 
You feel guilty about it, and you know you need to be forgiven. Then you learn an even greater lesson. You can be told you are forgiven, can be assured you are forgiven, but you still feel guilty. And you realize that you don't just need to be forgiven of your sin, but you need to be freed from your guilt. And that is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a theological doctrine that Christians believe, because it is extremely relevant in your life, because you will never find forgiveness for your sins, and you'll never be truly free from the guilt until you meet the risen Savior. Through him, Paul said that we have the forgiveness of sins, and through him, we are set free from the guilt of every sin. See, we have this eternal transformation that takes place in the life of everyone who comes to the risen Jesus. Now, hopefully you'll see that all that I have been saying about Jesus ties together. Jesus lived a sinless life. Because he lived a sinless life, he died an atoning death. And to prove that he did live a perfect life and he did die an atoning death, he came back from the dead. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, but the empty tomb is proof that God cashed the check. He accepted the payment. He canceled our sin debt. He set us free from the guilt of all sin. You know, the gospel writers tell us that the angel rolled away the stone. Jesus didn't need the angel to do that. He could have done that himself, the reason why the angel rolled the stone away was not to let Jesus out, but to let unbelievers in so that they might see for themselves Jesus is alive and that he alone can give you forgiveness for your sins and freedom from your guilt. Now, you have a cornucopia of choices There is a religious buffet out there with 4,200 different items. You can take what you want, but consider your choice. You will either follow the dead or the one who came back from the dead. The only one, the only risen Savior. Amen? Our service is over. And may we all go from this place of celebration with joy and proclaim with ecstasy that Jesus Christ is alive and that we serve a risen Lord and Savior. And in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, give glory to the one true God, a God of grace for all who come and accept, submit, surrender, and proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Love you. See you next week.